Listeners, I, I I finally did it! I got a real-life 14 researcher to talk with me! Oh, I was so intimidated by his almighty presence. I couldn't just be my silly old self, I needed to be semi-professional. And I accomplished that by letting us go off on millions of tangents. Uh, our original plan was to talk about the Serbian Mothman. This is like the third podcast I'm doing on that case. No, 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 wait, wait, don't go. I, I know, you've had enough of the Serbian Mothman. But believe me, this episode is not really about the Serbian Mothman. No, we go into very deep, intricate, philosophical discussion on the cultural and psychosocial implications of entity encounters. Especially flying humanoids. No, not the Mothman, more like the Jersey Devil. We go back to that one a few times. Hey, but we also talk about the old oh, Saybrook blockheads and La Lechuza and owls, obviously, and old Stinker and owls, uh, owl man. Completely different thing. Oh, um, also stay tuned to the very end. We have a huge surprise for you. I'm not gonna tell you what we go into. Just listen to the whole damn episode to hear that whole discussion. <laughs> uh. Okay, I need to tell you now, like, we talk about bat-winged, one-eyed monsters with huge, pulsating, ginormous co- <laughs> So I have finally found the most elusive cryptid there is, and no, it's not Bigfoot. <laughs> so with me today, I have Cole Harold. He is a 14 researcher that I have befriended on Instagram. Say hi, Cole. Oh, hey. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Yep. So you actually refer to yourself as a more of a 14 librarian. Can you explain that? Yeah. You know, for me, it's a lot of what it is, is the fact that there's a lot of interesting cases out there that not a lot of people know about them or not a lot of people have access to them. So whenever I write about a case, I always like to include as many sources as possible and basically give people sort of pointers as to where to go to look for these sources because there's so much information out there that people just don't know about. Yeah, and like, I've been reading some of your articles now uh, before recording this. Honestly, dude, I'd rather just use all your articles as the main source because you already cite all the main sources and you compile all the information into one article and your articles are like huge and very information heavy. For today's topic, I needed to read it like three times. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. I really do try to get as much information on the cases as possible and that includes even like going to like old newspapers accounts, old uh, newsletters, periodicals, looking at eyewitness sketches, things like that. Just kind of going from there. Yes, yes. So for for the listeners, for context, Cole Harold here is a researcher for the blog named New World Explorers Society. Is that the only place where you publish your findings? Yeah, basically that's the only written source that I have right now.
now. I really haven't. I've been thinking about stretching out a little bit, maybe doing the podcasting thing or some videos on YouTube or something like that. But right now, that's that's really about it. Like I I do about four to six hours of research a night. So just just you know, yeah. So it's just kind of like just the reading and the uh, the typing takes a lot out of me. You put in a lot of effort to compile all the sources to write a cohesive, all encompassing article. And apart from all that, you even illustrate the entities yourself. And that's how I eventually stumbled upon your Instagram, because you were drawing these very, how should we say, obscure uh, entities that were reported like in the 50s, 60s. Uh, the one that drew my attention was the Blockhead. I remember, I can't remember uh, the, the town. The, so. uh, the old Saybrook Blockheads. The yeah. old Saybrook yeah. Blockheads. Like th that's a totally outrageous uh, creature that nobody ever talks about. And I'm like, <laughs> this dude, this dude draw this thing. Hmm, cool. And then I go on your Instagram page, I see this blog, and I see that you wrote a whole article on it, and I'm like, this is a person I, I need to get on my show. <laughs> Well, thank you. And and yeah, I, I'm just really fascinated, especially with the weirder stuff, because there's a lot of interesting stuff that's more mainstream. But when you really look at like the really obscure stuff that nobody talks about, there's so much more that's well, one, it's just fun to discover it because it's it's like mm -hmm. finding, you know, this whole mine shaft of treasures that you just have no idea even existed. But then at the same time, it's also like just how the heck does anyone actually report something like this? Because, you know, it's like with the old Saybrook blockheads, you know, it's literally these blobby if they're blobs because like there's the, like the witness said that they might have had legs that were just like not seen from like the window down yeah I, I always saw them like an inflated glove y yeah like <laughs> like the hamburger helpers like fingers are just ripped off and you yeah. have like just a, a little like almost clear Rubik's cube on top like that's they're just so weird there's not really much to that case like it's just a woman seeing them inside of a craft even though the craft itself is really weird there's like a propeller on it it's almost like a blimp and it's all always been uh fascinating to me like how do we decide that something is an extraterrestrial case like you are now writing up on the veggie man from west virginia the original sighting that was documented by gray barker you can find info on the veggie man like on cryptid wikis and stuff like that and when you read through the a story you think hmm this is a cryptid but no at the very end the witness saw a light in the sky or a craft ascending and that is always the only reason why we attribute entities to extraterrestrial phenomena. Otherwise they would be considered cryptids if not for the UFO. Well with Veggie Man actually there was no craft reported. There was... Um, really? Yeah, no, there was none. It was all assumed but there's a lot to that case that actually upon really diving deep into it where there's a lot of assumption that it is an extraterrestrial mostly on Gray Barker or Jennings Frederick, the guy that witnessed its mindset because he heard essentially a, a humming and a whistling sound. So he assumed because of the sound that there was some kind of crafts. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because we talked about Gray Barker a little bit and this similar sound uh, was also reported with the Grafton monster case, which I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the witnesses claimed that they heard a whistling sound and apparently this whistling sound is something that Gray Barker associated with UFOs and extraterrestrials all the time, which is why I think it's more of a Gray Barker yeah. assuming that it's an ET. Because when you read about the case in Brad Steger's Alien Meetings, the, it's actually filed in in a chapter that's all on fairy folk. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like yeah, I have the book actually right here. It's called The Little People, UFO Knots or Leprechauns. And of course, you know, I mean, Jacques Vallée obviously pointed out the similarities between the Fae and aliens. UFO occupants, yeah. The, um, like, obviously, like, I know you know that there's, like, the, Im uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but <laughs> the 
RV Elf, or if if you know what that case is from, is that the one with the cone head? And yeah, yeah, like yeah. He's got like the uh, like the weird long rounded nose and the cone head, and he looks like he's holding a camera, and like that's that's like one where it honestly looks like a um, traditional elf. So there there is kind of this um, these reports that sort of do overlap, but then you have also reports of just straight out fairy folk. There's a famous case. Well, I consider it famous. It's called the Gnome Aviator of Hertford over in England. Yes, and you know that's basically just it looks like an old type of biplane and it's a small occupant basically like it's a plane it's a, just a little old like what you'd assume like a child's toy would be but there's a little gnome inside that actually waved at a bunch of kids and almost crash landed into some trash cans and it so <laughs> yeah it's it's a ridiculous case but um yeah, really interesting i should make 100 episodes with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so there's a lot of cases like that where they there's kind of this assumption that they're you know like the ufo occupants and the alien uh, or the uh, the fairies are kind of the same thing but then you have like reports like that where it's like okay you have a small tiny airplane shaped craft that's not exactly a ufo it's more like it commandeered a child's toy and it's taking it for a joyride and all i can think of too is you have reports like the woolton park gnomes case where mm-hmm. the gnomes are described as driving tiny vehicles with basically bubble windshields and there was like 60 of these gnomes 30 cars 60 gnomes in this park and they drive around and they chase kids in them you know uh, recently what i've been kind of leaning towards this theory of ufos being entities themselves and it ties into the topic we're going to cover today if you if you look at every ufo sighting throughout history in every continent and just map them out you can see a progression of what a ufo looks like in certain periods of time in certain countries just like the occupants so in a way i mean if this is alien technology it's kind of crazy to assume that uh, every year the aliens are changing what their crafts look like. I, I think it's more, you know, a sociological thing, how the witness perceives a UFO and that the alien and the UFO are essentially manifestations of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always that possibility, especially. I, I've never really was big into the more, you know, the Keelian aspects of things or the interdimensional aspects of things. But, you know, after talking with you about your ideas, I think that it actually does does especially with your idea with the uh, with the Gaia theory specifically and how yeah. that interacts with it I actually think that it one actually rationalizes it a little bit more and pushes it up there um, which is actually like upon hearing it I'm like this actually makes a lot of sense yeah it's a more biological and natural science approach to the keel ultra terrestrial hypothesis yeah and I know that's kind of one of the big issues um, especially with keels uh, hypothesis is it's like it's all this everybody's like oh it's it's so difficult to rationalize so to speak and there's a lot of not not necessarily speculation but just interpretation interpretation isn't there a lot of interpretation because the manifestation takes up the shape and the form based on the psyche of the witness themselves and that's well yeah and that's possibly part of it too when you're looking at a lot of the different cases that are out there like especially when you look at old extraterrestrial cases specifically you know it's a wide gambit like why don't we have you know nowadays why don't we have like like the space brains of Palos Verdes visiting us. Why don't, why is it always like the same five types of extraterrestrials? You know, the greys, the mantids, the, the reptoids, you know, and, and the fact that the only ones that we even possibly might have any tangible evidence of in, in like photographic wise, or even, you know, if you want to go anecdotal with like the bodies at Roswell or whatever, which of course is all anecdotal and we have nothing for it. You know, that's the only physicality of it. It's all witness testimony. And then even when you get into like a lot of the reports, you know, the grays 
guys do weird things. Like they phase through reality. They phase through the walls. They do all sorts of things. I mean, whatever, whatever this is, obviously throughout time, it started manifesting more as greys because the greys became ingrained into the social unconsciousness of all the witnesses. And so it's easier for something which re- essentially reads your mind and manifests into a certain shape based on your expectation to manifest into this symbol and this icon that exists collectively within the pop culture. Yeah, it's just fascinating to me because if if that is accurate, one, it could explain a lot. And two, also the fact like I know like um, you would send me that article about, you know, how to bait the supernatural, things along those lines and also the implications of it. I also had a friend who kind of had a similar idea, but that of course gets more into manifestation and I am not at all an expert on that. And yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of like when she was getting into it with me, she, I'm not an expert on that at all. I'm, I'm more kind of, you know, I look for more physical things in that way or I look observe testimony as is and try to see if there's any reason for it you know look at like the moral standing of it so to speak or you know things like that with with things like that I, I was always like you know well if this kind of works you know why why can't I make a make a, like a uh, a veggie man appear you know in, in my backyard <laughs> you know kind of a thing but with how you view it and uh, your your theories on it it's really interesting because you know if it was more along that line I could see you know, every... It would explain why there are hundreds of different shapes and forms of these beings. Yeah. And how they are influenced by the mental framework and cultural framework of the witness themselves. Like, why does Tanzania have a Popo Bawa while, let's say, in Louisiana there are boo hags, but both are say, sleep paralysis demons. But then other people have sleep paralysis demons that are essentially greys, because you can't say in one way that greys are sleep paralysis demons. Yeah, well, that that's one of the big things that I had actually just read a paper recently about the various types of entities reported with sleep paralysis, and that was actually one of the beings listed. And they say that almost all alien abductions are an example of sleep paralysis because yeah, a lot of yeah. them are, you know, the witnesses in bed, they often, you know, are awoken in the middle of the night or they're stuck in a, in a state where they can't move or they feel like something is holding them down. And, then, and they have the, the visual dreamlike hallucinations, which are the, uh, the greys more than more often than not in cases like that. So I could I can definitely see how with some cases that is definitely what is being reported to say the least. So so we got we have gone off on such a long tangent. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> people people have clicked on the episode because of Serbian Mothman oh, or yes. whatever I'm going to put. So l- let's go on to the topic. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> Now, you had trouble researching this topic, but then again, you you had the fortune or rather misfortune of stumbling upon me (laughs) and learning about this case. So today we will be discussing the Phantom of Yubovia or what the media here said was the Serbian Mothman. I already released an episode on that. You can go check it out if you want to, but it is not needed because Cole actually researched into this under my suggestion and created a whole article on it and we are going to discuss it in detail today so this is kind of a redux episode yeah well again thank you for all the information that you did send for me because you know like i said i mean i had never heard of this case during the time frame where this case was kind of going on you know america and mexico was going through its own sort of thing and i one i had no idea or even no way of knowing about the overseas cases and until literally you told me about it and of course you know i'm always fascinated with other cultures and other cases that 
you know, people don't know about. And so when you told me about this, I'm like, oh, well, I got to know more, obviously. So yeah. And, and, you know, the only reason this case even came to the West in any shape or form is because it sparked a media circus here. Because the idea behind this episode we're doing now is that I am going to talk with you about something from my culture. And we're going to chat about it. We're going to interpret things very differently because I have a whole cultural context uh, living here and being a Serb. Though I live in Bosnia and Herzegovina, but it's complicated oh, okay. as well later. Yeah, here. Yeah. So, so the thing is, uh, P- we have a history of UFO stuff here, but we were communists until the mid-90s. So it was not allowed for us to talk about it. There was a huge case of a UFO flying next to a passenger plane and uh, almost colliding with it. It is called the Pan Adria UFO incident. I'm probably going to cover it at some point. Oh, okay. Uh, th- that's the biggest case we have, but it came to the limelight after the fall of Yugoslavia, and it came into the limelight in Croatia because they were the ones who essentially strived for, for independence from the communist regime. And once they gained their independence, that's why the whole Bosnian war broke out. Uh, they started talking openly about UFOs. Okay. And it became like a huge thing over there. So Croatia does have a lot of ufology, a lot of people studying UFO phenomena. Uh, the thing is, we don't really have occupant or as you'd say, extraterrestrial entity cases. We do have UFOs, but hardly ever does anybody see an alien here, hmm. even in Croatia, where it's talked about more. Now, in the Serbian side of things, like where I live, the Serbian part of Bosnia, and I think the whole Bosnia as well, as well as uh, Serbia, people don't take UFOs and aliens seriously at all. And it is not encouraged to even talk about it because you'll become a laughing stock, essentially. Okay. It is not even a part of pop culture like it is in America now, where you can say, yeah, people in America would laugh at you for saying you saw a UFO, but it's more, you know, acceptable there. <laughs> uh, over here, we are very, very uh, stern when it comes to those things, and we lean more towards Russian ideologies, and you know how Russians are. They don't like talking about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, but the things that are popular here are conspiracy theories. They, they are very much a huge part of the case we're going to talk about today. So it will be interesting hearing my cultural context um, versus your uh, American context in investigating, you know, ufology and entities, what it means for Americans and what it means for my culture. Yeah. And I think that's probably to me going to be the most interesting thing about this because again, like I am, I hate to say I am a complete amateur when it comes to knowing anything about, you know, really that portion of the world. And a lot of it, at least from where I'm at and from what I can gather from a lot of the other people that I've talked to that are interested in this stuff is that there's just not that much information available to us about that portion of the world. Yeah. This will be yeah. this will be actually really interesting, especially because like even with the information that you sent me, it's like, wow, I really wish there was more because I know you sent me a little bit of stuff before this um, that I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. get into, but I'm like, you know, there's a lot more because like the implications of this could mean that it's a much further distance. It could be this, it could be that. It's it, you're sort of like boots on the ground over there giving us the lowdown. So I, I you know, this is going to be really <laughs> fascinating. And again, I also really appreciate it because, you know, I, you know, as somebody that really strives for this type of stuff, I, I always like to hear like the full story, especially from someone that's there or around the area. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was here. I briefly lived in Canada. Oh, okay. That's why I speak English so well. But when this was happening, I was here in my home country. So I kind of remember vaguely, though I, I was a child back then. I do remember the general consensus about this case and how it was treated by the media and by people. Like I spoke with my grandma 
grandmother the other day and I told her like I'm doing uh, an episode with on the Lyubovia Phantom and she said oh I remember that oh okay it, it became a joke here it was not treated at all like UFO cases <laughs> in America but we're gonna go into that all right so what we're talking about today was what would be classified in the 14 community as a flying humanoid sighting and it happened in the small town of Lyubovia in Serbia in August of 2005. Now, it's very hard to find out via the news articles what exact date this was, but you looked into this as well. It was first seen on the 22nd of August, which was a Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was kind of an issue too with just how the news sources were because I know like they didn't really exactly state the exact date of when it happened. They would say, "Oh, it was this date." So I kind of had to do some backtracking when yeah. when looking at the articles and I'm like, "Okay, so this is the date the article came out and this is the day that they're talking about yeah no it would have been that that monday yeah from from what i saw today in the articles and i looked through all the articles we can find on the internet because the online presence of this case is very minimal we in 2005 did not even have internet here only very rich people did and it was dial up so you know yeah so the first mention of this in our news articles was a news article from the 24th and in it it stated like yesterday the whole town of Lubovia was going wild over this flying humanoid and then it said two days prior that it was first witnessed by this couple so I'm like okay this was on the 24th the date of the news article so the 22nd is probably the first sighting yeah I mean it's very weird because stuff happens and then the news prints about that the very next day so you don't have a context of time when something happened opposed to when when the news article came out yeah you usually anyways and that's something that um i noticed especially with like really old cases um like from the 1800s they did the same thing where it's like oh you know last saturday this and yeah so on and so forth and then it's like <laughs> so you you go on your phone on your calendar and you're like um 1868 and you don't have that in your calendar on your phone <laughs> yeah no no it's no you actually have to like look it up on Google and be like, yeah, so uh, I'm looking for the se- the second Saturday to the end of the month in 1868. That I don't know anything else. And then you just got to try to piece it together yourself a little bit. So, yeah, which of course is, is kind of fun, but you know, hey. So to begin this, uh, the first sighting of this supposed flying humanoid was on the 22nd of August, a Monday. It happened in the evening and it was witnessed by a couple, a married couple and their children and a few of the local children who were playing with their children at the time. So the first witness, Milos Jokic, he was working around his house when his kids started yelling a flying man and they were outside playing uh, soccer with uh, their kid friends. Mm -hmm. So he looked up at a building was it the yellow building i think that's where he um first saw the figure walking along the uh basically the, the roof because the the kids hollered that the the being was flying and then by the time he turned around because he was doing his work he looked up and he noticed that the figure was just there walking um yeah, yeah. but there but there's some implication that they they actually had seen it flying from another building further down yeah the, i mean the they yelled out a flying man and once he turned and looked up at at the building he saw a man but he said it was like a short man dressed in black with a black cape walking around yeah. the edge of the roof and he thought okay my kids are seeing things and this guy is probably installing a tv antenna so back to work 
But the kids kept shouting and shouting. So this caused his wife, Slavojka Jokic, to come out of the house, look at the thing. And now it was no longer on the roof, but it was levitating between two buildings. The one thing about that that really strikes me, and this kind of goes with him, is the fact that you see a guy with a cape and you Mm -hmm. immediately think that he's going to be installing a TV antenna. Is that something like, I know this might sound really like, (laughs) I don't know how to put it, but is that like, um, is there some sort of cultural fashion over over in Serbia, like is, is no, that something no. like like that in 2005 was that kind of the thing like you know to have some sort of long outfit like that or like a coat maybe it was August I'd say like if it was near winter or autumn then maybe the guy had a trench coat or something because it's cold up there yeah because like when when I first read that I'm like why would you think that was just my first thought like initially like if you if you see somebody up on a roof he's got a cape on my first thought is either this guy has is is a really big cosplayer and he's into Batman or Superman and mm-hmm. might have some issues or you know like I wouldn't think oh he's installing a TV antenna or something like that I would go that's weird and I would focus more on that I wouldn't just be like okay dude so l- let's go into this now uh, I forgot to mention it but th- this is the perfect moment so Slavojka got out of her uh, house saw the being levitating between two buildings she said that this was a man like figure black black cape glowing guys she did not say he had red eyes she was not the witness who stated yeah it had red eyes yeah, no but she said the whole body of the being was faintly glowing yeah not just its eyes yeah now uh you obviously when you wrote the article you also drew the creature and your interpretation of the creature was based on her this testimony now w- when we look at it and it will be in my episode arts if you allow me to add it oh, yeah, sure 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 so you drew it as a kind of short masculine figure completely black Black, uh, with a black cape, glowing red eyes. The red eyes are a detail from other witnesses mm-hmm. the, the next day. Um, and there is a glow around the creature that you drew. But what fascinates me is how you incorporated this superhero mo- motif. Well, that's essentially like when you're describing this case, mm-hmm. it, it is not like the other... Like, I know I got into it a little bit, like the North American flying humanoids from that time period. Like, this is genuinely different. Yes. The North American flying humanoids, and I know you've seen the videos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they're are creepy as heck. <laughs> they're just, well, some of them a little bit more than others. But essentially, they're just, they look, they're, they're not, they don't have that, they don't have capes. They don't really glow for the most part. They might shine a little bit if they're silver from, assumedly, like the sunlight. They don't have that bizarre, what, what you could assume is a supernatural quality to it in the same ways as uh, the Phantom does. Yeah, and yet uh, in Mexico during all these sightings, mostly people were saying that these were uh, witches on broomsticks. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Latin American cultures, especially, that have these legends of flying humanoids and witches who will transform themselves into birds or things like that. Like, there's a famous one called La Lechuza which actually gets a little bit into another type of flying humanoid. Um, La Lechuza Chusa is the Spanish word for owl, but um, it also... Rep- How fitting for my podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also rep- means in regards to this creature, because, you know, when you deal with a lot of these, with a lot of different cultures, they have words that mean multiple things, like like the ropen means like a specific type of bird on one portion of the island, aside from, you know, the glowing pterosaur type creature. Yeah, yeah. But with the Lale Chusa, it also means a witch that turns herself into a giant humanoid owl. And there's a lot of 
of this type of belief systems in these Latin cultures, especially like in areas like Venezuela and Colombia of women, or I don't know of any male equivalents because it's almost always female yeah it's it's essentially the archetype we have of a witch and yeah it's always feminine yeah like in every culture yeah but basically there's there's that thing where it's just when you see a flying figure like that instantly because of their their background that's what they interpret it as it's kind of like if what there's a famous piece of footage it doesn't look anything like a bird but they automatically assumed that it was it was taken in mexico and it's famous it's debunked now or at least seemingly debunked because because they basically were able to mostly recreate the footage, but they couldn't stabilize it as well. But they basically just put what was like a bunch of trash, like a big trash bag, and they they filled it up with a helium. And they, fl- they was just- that for for a TV show? I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that was on. Um- was a Monster Quest? No, 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 no. Monster Quest. Uh, Factor Fate. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, no. Monster okay. Monster Quest. They had Joe Nickel on, and he basically he debunked a couple of the videos that were basically just balloons clustered together to form. Yeah. A human yeah, yeah. That, that's also what I saw. Yeah. So I, it ties to um, what we're going to talk about now. Sorry, listeners, we go on tangents, but the tangents uh, segue back <laughs> into the overarching theme. So th- the thing uh, regarding the superhero, I really enjoy how you incorporated the superhero aspect because the superhero aspect is an overarching theme in this whole event even from our cultural standpoint when this happened people all over uh, Serbian forums and all over the media were making jokes about this being Batman and that he came to Serbia and the thing is uh, the movie Batman Begins actually premiered two months before this incident occurred Okay. So it was in the public consciousness, you know, at the time. Yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, an analogy that people used in forums, uh, and like I went on those forums, one of the forums is from my hometown. People were refer- referring to this thing as Super Hick, uh, which Hick is for Hiccup. Oh, okay. This is a comic book character from Alan Ford's comics, which are an Italian comic book that is popular here. I even read it as a kid. Um, the gist of that character, Super Hick, up basically is that he's an alcoholic he's always drunk and he steals money from the poor to give to the rich (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay yeah but now segueing back to your question like is this some kind of fashion thing somebody installing an antenna in a cape well that same comic book alan ford has another superhero character who is called antenna man oh my god and he installs antennas (laughs) oh my god that's I like that's almost as bad as stilt man here in the US. Like I don't yeah. know I don't know if you're familiar at all. From from Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god. But yeah, no, that's funny. But but yeah, was he was was that figure described at all? Like um in the comics, like anything similar to this that people could have No, no, no. No. It is just something that exists in the pop culture here because Alan Ford comics were very, very popular. All Italian comics are popular here. Are you aware of Dylan Dog? There was a movie out. Based on that Dylan Dog. Yeah, he's he's a paranormal researcher. It's a horror comic. But yeah, that that's a very popular comic. Like that's the most popular paranormal related thing we have here. Okay. But it's Italian and I don't know if it was printed in English. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, think so. Yeah. I I can't like it. Like the name sounded familiar, but there, uh, there was a movie. There was an American movie made a decade ago. What What was it called? I think it's De- uh, Dylan Dog Dead of Night or something like that. And in the nineties, I think there was an Italian <sighs> horror film na- named Della Morta dell'Amore, which features the character. Yeah, I, I can't say honestly that I have, but now I have to go look it up. So, so I wanted to say, like, <laughs> you you got the gist of this whole story and incorporated that into your art. You were not aware of all these comic book ties, but yeah, like once you get into the story, it makes sense that people would attribute comic book characters to this character. Yeah, it it is really interesting because, you know, well, for one thing, I mean, like, I honestly, it's not a Mothman. It like it by it does not have wings. It it, It is not. No, no. Well, well, not even that. It's it's like Mothman was this headless eyes to the chest thing. This thing is more basically like if you shrunk down basically batman and sold off the ears and <laughs> yeah like yeah, like exactly. that's that's like and gave him flying abilities like that's what you have oh pe- people here assume that batman can fly I, that does not surprise <laughs> me there's um i don't know if you know anything about like how cultures what they'll do occasionally is they'll like if a movie is popular in america they'll make their own versions of it in their yeah, country like the turkish star wars y- yeah or turkish et well there's actually a batman one and i came across it the other day and basically that's the big thing is batman flies and and yeah, yeah. It, it's like he's in the jungle and it literally has nothing to do with anything about the character except for that he kind of looks like how he's supposed to. Okay, so it reminded me of some personal story I can tell on here, I hope. Um, though it's very disturbing, the applications of it. So this happened when I was four years old. Uh, my mom was sleeping and I uh, was wearing a Batman costume that I got for <laughs> Halloween. This was while I was in Canada okay. and we lived on the fourth floor of an apartment building. So I, as a four-year-old, got out onto the balcony and started climbing up. Yep. And something woke my mom up, like some miracle, and she saved me from attempting to jump off. Yeah. Uh, Man. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean... So maybe Serbian Mothman, this Ljubovia Phantom, maybe that was a child because like, it's it's a masculine figure, but it's very short. Maybe that was a projection of my four-year-old self. (laughs) Well, maybe. I mean, and that wouldn't be too off the rails, so to speak, because if we're talking about entire hypotheticals and things like that and projections, you know, like when when you're a kid, especially, you want abilities or powers to be a superhero or whatever. So possibly, and I know this is entirely speculation, maybe that's what that was. You know, maybe it was somebody's projection of their wanting to be a child superhero or something along those lines. And it's it's flying around, you know, and I mean, it's the worst superhero ever because it really doesn't do anything, but <laughs> at least that we know of, except for yeah. cause panic. But yeah, I, it, it's kind of one of those, or maybe, you know, it's a kid that wants to be a supervillain. Who knows? It's kind of interesting, you know, like the, the superhero parallels because in my article, I, I noted some extraterrestrials with capes that have appeared over the years, but none of them really match anything like this thing. It's, it's so bizarre in itself. It doesn't match any flying humanoids really, except for one I found, which also occurred in Mexico. Basically, in that case, it was a, three people in Mexico. 
Mexico City, they looked up and they saw a black caped humanoid basically flying through the air and uh, in a lot of ways resembled um, the Phantom almost identically, except for in this case, unlike the Serbian one, it actually had a UFO seen in the vicinity and also some type of strange animal as well in the area. So, <laughs> wow, it had a pet. Basically, or at least, you know, I know that's one of the big things, the UFO occupant pets theory, like with the chupacabra and so on. So who knows? It's it's interesting, but it's it's one of those things. The main thing that I was more interested about was just the fact that that was the out of all the cases that I came across, that was the closest one to what was seen. And yeah, yeah. like like everything else was different. Every like I, I know I kind of went in, into it a little bit, like with flying humanoid cases, there's so much. It's a really deep dive because they're all different. There's so many, there's so many. There's just a ridiculous amount, and they all are different in their own way. Even when you try to draw parallels to them, they're all different. Yeah, then you use use like just one detail and say a cape, and then you look through all the beings that had a cape. Yeah. Like there are a lot of flying humanoids around the world, but we're obviously not talking about Mothman things today, even though this was referred to as a Mothman, but it is not a winged humanoid. Oh, yeah, no. It is a flying, levitating humanoid with a cape. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, too, is it's it's like there's not that many like in general like floating humanoids that are human in shape and they hover or they fly above the ground there's scads of reports of them to find a black figure that glows with a cape it's surprisingly difficult to even find anything that matches which is why you know as i was writing it i thought it was an extremely interesting case yeah so just to finish off this uh, story of the initial encounter like there are a lot of theories we can suggest but this is one detail which kind of limits the possibilities of the theories that you can attribute to what this thing actually was. So Slavojka went out of the house, saw this guy, this thing levitating between two buildings and she and Milos would approach the thing, but the more they would approach it, the more it would retreat further from them, maintaining the same distance between itself and the couple. Yeah. And I think Slavojka to the press stated that it was retreating like, like it was floating in reverse. So it was oriented looking towards them but then it was floating in reverse yeah that's that's very weird that that is weird. like things that fly usually fly forward they don't fly backward <laughs> well hummingbirds can though yeah humming uh, let's say this is a hummingbird yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was but... small <laughs> oh yeah 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 i mean well well yeah this would be a colossal hummingbird if that's the case <laughs> and the wings Man, that's good yeah yeah and the wings are and the wings you know the cape is actually the wings and it's just oh. moving that fast that you just can't the wings are invisible that's why it does not have wings yes yes you can't see them yeah there we go we cracked the case but we crack the case so this crack- is a cryptid guys it's not an alien it's not an american u.s intelligence agent as we'll go into later yeah i mean hey i'd love it to be that i would love there to be giant hummingbirds i mean that'd be awesome but yeah <laughs> So um, this detail, so they would approach the thing, it would retreat and maintain the same distance between itself and the couple, then they would stop, and then the figure would stop. Yeah. So it was playing a game with them, and that's how the couple actually referred to it, that it was a game. So they attempted this a few times, it was always maintaining the same distance and moving alongside with them, uh, doing a dance with them. (laughs) That's kind yeah. of dance. Yeah, that's so weird. And at some point, it just probably got bored and flew off towards a building of a local transportation company called Lubovia Trans. I found it on the map today. It seems like it is kind of a defunct uh, 
bus station. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was one of the things where I'm like, I have no idea. Like when I was writing it, I have like, I have no idea what this building is, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like I tried to Google it and it's like nothing popped up and I'm like, okay. So in flying humanoid cases, have you ever come upon this detail of the humanoid being aware of the witness and maintaining the same distance away from them and playing a game with them? It, it all depends on the witness's interpretation, honestly, because yeah. they felt that it was playing a game with them. But when I hear that case, I don't think of it in a game situation. I think of it almost in an observation sort of thing, like this being is observing them and it's staying away from them not in a game way but in either mm-hmm. you know something more possibly sinister possibly not it's again it's up to interpretation but i don't necessarily see it that yeah. way but there's a lot of flying humanoid cases that are out there across the board and we're talking about you know i, I know we said not no, not gonna get into mothman but even with mothman type cases of similar things like the entity will remain a certain distance from the person as they're traveling and keep either pace with them keep up with them i mean we could argue like the, the infamous um, Linda Scarberry case where it literally followed them at the same distance, same pace. The, their car. Yeah, they were yeah, 100 miles. Driving towards Point Pleasant. Yeah, at 100 miles per hour. Yeah. So, I mean, you could argue that case as well, too, matches the keeping a distance thing. It, again, with, with stuff like this, it's all based on the witness's interpretation. Like, we got into it a little bit about this idea that people have an idea about things, and when they see it, that interprets how the entire encounter goes with, with these types of things. Like, like, we got into the witch thing a little bit, even though it could, not even, it could possibly not even be that, but because it's so ingrained in the culture. If somebody personally sees something and they're like, oh, you know, it's kind of like playing a game because, you know, that's you know, they have kids or something like whatever, and they're familiar with like keep away, they're going to associate it with that. But if you're somebody that's more of a, let's say somebody that's out in the field studying animals, and you see something that's keeping away from somebody else, that's almost like a predator prey instinct, at least for me. Yeah, yeah. So I I know that as as a biologist. Yeah, yeah, instinctual. Yeah. So again, it, it entirely goes into your interpretation of the case. But yeah, there's there's quite a few flying humanoid cases that are genuinely like that where they'll play this keep away or or like a lot of the ones that get caught on video especially even the ones that allegedly are well the couple that actually are proven hoaxes like the ones that joe nickel ended up proving are hoaxes the um there's a few that where, where the space between them never seems to change this reminds me of skinwalker ranch and the ufos there like i think whenever they tried to record the ufos the ufo would just move out of the viewpoint of the camera well skinwalker ranch is weird because there's like times where it's a very personable phenomenon if that makes any sense at all like when you get into skinwalker ranch the people that own the ranch it gets weird it gets really weird with skinwalker ranch and yeah that would be like, like a like, whole episode yeah yeah honestly uh, like episode. like I, because i mean when you're looking at that it, it's got everything from bulletproof wolves to the obvious transforming humanoids to lights in the sky to a light basically dissolving dogs yeah, yeah, or you know, cattle being trapped inside barns and and being being ripped apart. Yeah, in an instance. yeah. There's there's so much. The most infamous one, my most favorite, is obviously the portal that was 2D and the entity climbing out. Actually, I don't think I know this one. So this was when the Skinwalker Ranch was uh, bought by Bigelow and his scientific team, and this was observed by the team. They saw a 2D portal open uh, up in the sky. Okay. And it's 2D, like if you'd look at the portal from a different angle, you wouldn't see it. It's like a sheet of paper. Oh, okay. And they saw some kind of entity crawl 
out of the portal and just walk away. That's weird. Like, is it a, like, I know you said humanoid, but like, um, I think it was a giant entity. I'm not certain on the details because there were not much details on what it looked ah, like. Ah, great. Okay. Okay. Maybe it was a Lubovia phantom. <laughs> No, no, you said it was giant. I mean, we, we're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it's a giant hummingbird, no, no, it's it's got to be, it's got to be a little short, dude. So, well, maybe, well, maybe the researchers had Alice in Wonderland syndrome, so they perceived everything to be larger than it is. Oh, maybe. So, uh, when we're talking about, let's say, this thing man- maintaining the same distance away from the witnesses, what I think of immediately is like maybe Milos left their, his car headlights open if he was working like in front of his garage, and then. Then he was casting a shadow on this building and the more they'd walk towards the building the more the shadow would keep up with that if it makes sense in any way i'm picturing it in my head but when you look at shadows and standing in front of it you would originally initially see like a large figure and then see it yeah shrink shrink yeah. shrink 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 yeah that's where that theory kind of drops flat but i have this other theory you do you are aware of the dark watchers in california i am yeah yeah well it's actually like there's similar phenomena phenomenon reported just on roads in general of hatted dark figures that appear in the middle of the road too that are kind of interconnected yeah, yeah. so and are you aware of the scientific explanation of the dark watchers as being rock inspectors an optical illu- illusion essentially oh so like what the uh what the big gray man of um yes yeah yes. yeah a lot of people attribute that to that and these rock inspectors are usually seen like uh, floating in the air or are seen on the horizon as a black human shaped figure yeah uh, the interesting part about it is that they are surrounded by rings of light yeah so yeah. it is like they are black but they are illuminated yeah that is actually interesting and i had not thought about that that does make a lot of sense this occurred at night so i think broad inspectors happen during the day and i think it's also at like a certain elevation too correct yeah 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 in mountainous regions yeah because i know like like that's one of the big arguments like i said for the big gray man in scotland because they've actually captured some of the uh the photo like the um the the impressions of these um lights and shadows on ben mcdewey i believe that's what the what the actual mountain range is called but hey at least it's not welsh because you can't pronounce that language it's just yeah no i couldn't yeah no there's a couple things i want to cover from from wales and i cringe because i know if i ever did like (laughs) talked about it openly i am going to butcher the living yeah yeah daylights out of it i mean that that's why i'm pronouncing the names today (laughs) oh yeah well well, thank you for that because you know i'm just gonna sound uh so bad okay so moving on uh this occurred in a small town and this couple saw what they stated was a flying man between two buildings this same night now it is hard forming a timeline of the events via the newspaper articles in your article that you wrote did you state that uh, the mass sightings were on wednesday i believe so i again i'd have to to look back. yeah so what i see from the news articles because I'm reading them in my own language. It would seem that the news articles were written after the mass sightings and that the mass sightings occurred the very same day after this night. So it was on Tuesday and the prior night was this initial sighting. So on Tuesday, the very next day after this couple saw this creature, around 3 p.m., the whole town started seeing a flying man in the sky in broad daylight. It was seen by a whole crowd that was waiting for a soccer match because they have a stadium 
uh, right on the other side of the road from this Lubavia trance building where the creature floated off to the prior night. So right in front of that building, on the other side of the road, there is a park. And behind the park, there is a football stadium. We call it football, mm-hmm. you call it soccer. There was a whole crowd gathering to witness a soccer match. They saw this alleged being in the sky, and it was seen by people inside of a bus as well. That whole, the bus thing, that actually reminds me of the 1909 Jersey Devil sighting on the trolley, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the mass sightings of the Jersey Devil. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I heard that, that was that was kind of interesting that, you know, you have this, because I can just see it in my head, like this whole bus full of people looking up and just seeing this strange object. And you know that the that Jersey Devil incident is used in academic textbooks as a prime example of mass hysteria. Yes, yes, it is. The, the Jersey Devil is kind of a passion project of mine because, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into it too much, just because of just, when you look at that 1909 flap, the amount of stuff that was just seen. The, there was a Philadelphia case of a woman seeing a dragon that breathed fire on her and the husband hit it with a broom and then it scampered over the fence, almost getting hit by a car and then, you know, ultimately disappearing before revealing itself again in a different part of, of the country. It sounds like what, what happened in Point Pleasant during the two years John Keel was there. A little bit, except for with the Jersey Devil sightings, the what was seen was described totally different. Whereas with the Mothman sightings, there was a pretty steady the same description of the creature. But, okay, so this this ties in to the case we're discussing. Like, I know the listeners may not, you know, <laughs> like these tangents and everything, but like, this is how, how I work. This is the show I want to make. We're going off on tangents that tie into this whole case. So you're, you said, like, in Point Pleasant, this was the late 60s. Yeah. Uh, people were seeing essentially the same description of the Mothman. And uh, this Jersey Devil 1909, was it? Yeah. Yeah, and people were seeing different things. So think of the influence of the media in these two cases. Oh yeah, certainly. Because the media influenced people to have in West Virginia this symbol of the Mothman and what it looks like. So they know what to expect based on what the media is saying. And you can say that that's the same case in Lubavia in Serbia in 2005. But like back in 1909, wow, oh man. So you know like with spring Jack, how people oh, yeah. were seeing very different things and that reporters were yeah. writing very different things. But a lot of people during the spring Jack sightings did not buy newspapers because newspapers were very, very expensive. So I can assume they were probably expensive, you know, in, in New Jersey in 1909. Yeah. So if less people are influenced by the media, then their interpretation of the phenomenon can be more um, lax. Oh yeah, certainly. Uh, with with things like that, it is really interesting to to think about because, well, at least with Springheel Jack, there is sort of a little bit more of um, a similar description. Like like there is a genuine like a little bit of touches here or there. Uh, it's not complete, full out difference uh, with the Jersey Devil case, but it is interesting to say the least because when you have a, something in the newspaper or you know media coverage of any kind, and this is what you're being bombarded with, this is how it's supposed to be you then think you see something or are aware of something, then more than likely you're going to attribute it to that. I mean, that's how the media influences these supposed events of mass hysteria to form. Yeah. And it solidifies the... how, how would I say it? Like the archetypal symbol of the entity, what it's supposed to look like. That definitely, I guess, would make the most sense with things like that and with be how it would be. Because even though like, I, again, I go back to 1909 with, with the Jersey Devil, like you had the Evans encounter, which is the one where if you ever see any image of the Jersey Devil, that's what it is. It's that famous one with the 
the Kali the, the horse bath thing, yeah. Yeah, and that is still circulated today around New Jersey as what it's supposed to look like. It's interesting now that that's what 90% of what is reported still to this day is supposed to be, but when you look at like the sightings as a whole throughout the state of New Jersey, it was everything from winged possums to Bigfoot to 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 kangaroos that were had glued on wings. Yeah, and that goes back into the whole the the hoaxing thing too, which I know we're going to get into but um mm-hmm. but yeah because that was a that was a big thing because that happened directly after sorry the actual sighting that is attributed to the image we now know of the jersey devil was this the first sighting uh, no, of that flat no okay no that actually came sometime later um in fact there was three sightings on the same night one was by i believe his name is ew minister or minster and he saw basically a glowing ram-headed crane type creature flying over gloucester county i believe and then there was about two other people that same night that around the hours of two two to three that experienced similar creatures. What I was going for, uh, let's say the Mothman, the initial sighting is the instigator of the phenomena. The more days pass by and the more sightings you have, they are all divergences from the original sighting. So people keep witnessing the image that was solidified by the original sighting. Yeah. Or maybe that was solidified by the media because as you said, like this was not the first sighting of the Jersey Devil in that flap, but it was the most well-documented and popular one in the media. The the Evans encounter is probably the most famous just because that's the one that actually got an eyewitness sketch and that's the one that has sent that basically was super run in every newspaper then. But then even still after that newspaper account came out, you still had everything else reported under the sun as as a Jersey Devil. Yeah, yeah, but right now or not now, but after that flap, whenever somebody would witness the Jersey Devil, it would always be similar to that image. For the most part yeah it's like people are in this some kind of emotional mental state and experiencing this 14 phenomena with their senses but since they are not receiving much sensory input they are not seeing something clearly their mind just fills in the blanks but if your mind already has the image of something that you're expecting it fills in the blank with that image i know i i'm i'm a skeptic <laughs> no 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 and and like i think you know like i'm in i it's important to be skeptical about things because it, and when you ask questions like that, it is important because it's all about critical thinking and possibilities because, you know, we're we're basically discussing a mystery and we have to look at it with what we know currently. So, you know, I, I already talked with you, so I view all this as a psychosocial phenomenon. Oh, yeah. I am skeptical, but I am not a skeptic. I'm not a debunker. I oh, actually no. think all of this, like, let's say the monster is not real and it is mass hysteria and it is people projecting a mental image of what they think a monster is. That is very, very important in instigating the phenomenon. And I could maybe go down the route and say that they are tulpamancers, (laughs) that they're conjuring up a tulpa in this image. Yeah, I'm not an expert on tulpas by any means. Like, I'm familiar with the... I believe she's French. And she uh, conjured a a monk. Yeah, it's Alexandra David Nail. Yeah, yeah. I first read about that in one of Nick Redfern's books. But from what I I gathered, it was more of an ethereal 
phenomenon. Yeah, it is. It is in Tibet. It is a spiritual thing. In the West, it was popularized by theosophists who turned it into something more malevolent and monstrous. Okay. In the pop culture of the West. Okay. Like I like aside from that, I know like Alan Moore, you know the graphic novelist. Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. he uh, created a tulpa of John Constantine. Ah. If, that's like, interesting. Like allegedly, like he was going out, I believe, for like coffee one day, and he saw a dude that looked just like John Constantine, and now allegedly that other people from DC have been seeing, uh, like DC Comics, and have have been seeing a dude that that looks and acts just like John Constantine, like hanging around. I mean, th- that reminds me of the first chapter of the Mothman Prophecies, where he talks about that the home of that right. I can't remember the writer's name, but he created a character who was named the Shadow, I believe. Yeah, I know, I know like exactly who you're talking about. And yeah. people keep seeing this cloaked ghost inside the house, but it's actually a man manifestation of his fictional character yeah yeah you um i can't think of the uh who the writer and creator of that character was which is yeah but it's interesting like an author can leave an imprint of his creative mind and it just manifests into something else and people see it So guys, just to clarify the details here, this was mentioned in and popularized by the Mothman Prophecies from John Keel. It concerns a supposedly haunted three-story house in New York's Greenwich Village, located at 12 Gay Street. Now, people have reported seeing some kind of weird phantom in this house, dressed in a long black cape and wearing a wide-brimmed slouch hat that is pulled over his eyes as he walks from room to room. Now, I brought this up to Cole a few times during our research for this episode because this apparition's description reminds me very much of the Lubavia Phantom. Well, anyway, reports of this very phantom started to occur right after the house was vacated by the author Walter Gibson. Many of his novels were written while he was in this very same house, and all of them feature a character he created in the 30s named The Shadow, who is a noir-styled crime fighter and bears a striking resemblance to the phantom being reported in this very same house. So it is speculated that Gibson actually left some kind of psychic imprint in this house or even conjured up a tulpa of a fictional character he wrote about in his books. If you want more info, there is none in the Mothman Prophecies, but I will link an article from AnomalyInfo.com who did heavy research on this very same phenomenon. So, back to my Serbian-caped crusader now. I don't know if you're if you've ever or if you're familiar. Do you if you've ever watched the real Ghostbusters cartoon? No, no. Back in the eighties there was this cartoon called The Real Ghostbusters, and there was an episode basically that dealt with this whole idea too. It basically was this basically he was like a, a low budget Walt Disney. Like that that was the equivalent in the cartoon, but he somehow managed to make all of his cartoons real, like in in like bring their whole existence to life somehow because of just the impression and the imprint and the care and the dedication and that people yeah. would experience these manifestations of these characters in the the place and of course you know the ghostbusters show up and have to deal with it i think that's done in a lot of shows like you know i'm a fan of the x-files there's a shitty season nine episode called scary monsters where a little kid conjures up monsters uh, from his mind oh i saw that one yeah yeah, I'm... and uh, m- most of them were like insects, that uh, giant insects that yeah, that was over the floor and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, the X Files is a great series, but after like season five, 
I'd say. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. I'm currently rewatching and I am on season five and I just stopped because I love season five, but I know when I finish it, it gets pretty shitty after that. Yeah. Like what with the revival last two seasons, the first one, I really didn't mind so much, but then the second one, I was kind of not so uh, i i haven't seen season 11 season 10 was atrocious oh see no i i like the wear monster episode so much yeah that, that's the only one but because <laughs> it was a darren morgan episode oh i love that episode that episode's great yeah yeah so so back on topic oh man we, we we've got off on a tangent we, we, we have <laughs> oh man i'm not cutting any of that out so, oh, so okay let's not deal with it okay <laughs> we're gonna have a two-hour episode about serbian mothman oh my god <laughs> So um, the whole town saw this monster the very next day after probably the whole town heard of this uh, couple and what they witnessed. Now, it was not reported in the media at that time, but it is a small town. Word travels fast. People talk. I live here. Everything is gossip and rumors. I know what it's like. And I live in a huge city, so I can only imagine what it's like in a small city here. Yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking, like, people already have the expectation of seeing a flying man in the sky because they heard of this incident that occurred the prior night. And they see something in the sky and their mind associates it with that. Now, what the people reported was a flying black humanoid figure with a cape that was glowing and he had glowing eyes and some of them said it had red eyes because that, you know, Mothman and every Mm. single monster out there. But people also said that it seemed like he had an engine on his back like a jetpack because he was traveling very very fast yeah which is really interesting because you know we had recently very recently a series of phantom jetpacker sightings so mm-hmm. it you know like I, I talked to you a little bit about it early on but there was essentially over in california a series of sightings of basically someone in air force airspace with a with a jetpack on or uh not air force like a um personal or uh like a regular airplane I, so an airfield, airfield basically. yeah i don't know why that word could, <laughs> didn't come to my head but basically it was wigging everybody out because they're like what is this why is it here you know why why is this thing in our air you know our airspace and we can't have this going on because you know obviously it could interfere with like a plane going off or something like that maybe somebody was trying to reenact gta san andreas Oh my god. <laughs> you know you can find the jetpack over there yeah, in the yeah, yeah, area yeah. 51 and there is an abandoned airspace you can use it on. Yeah. Basically they ended up eventually figuring it figuring um that it was a hoax and so on and so forth, but for a while it was big news that there basically was this phantom jetpacker that was flying around. The thing that also interests me is the fact that just the like this is the first time that we're seeing anything about technology. Mm-hmm. Like, like with this case, like, do you think that that was people when they see this, they're like, oh, it has to be technology because of the speeds that it's moving. Or do you think that that was just like an actual observation by witnesses? I think it is them assuming because as I told you, we are not quick to uh, judge something as a UFO or an alien. Yeah. And conspiracy theories are a huge thing here. Like people here don't believe in monsters and aliens, but they do believe in conspiracy theories because we're a very corrupt country with a very communist history and you know how communists like to um cover up everything uh 
Man. So there is a whole distrust of our people towards our own government and towards foreign governments as well. Okay. So the prevailing theory that people were talking about was not that this was an alien or that it was a flying humanoid Mothman. Like people here don't know what the fuck Mothman is before this happened. And the only reason people knew uh, attributed Mothman to this case is because a few days later, the Croatian newspaper started writing on this case and they did research and attributed Mothman to this. As I said, Croatians are more open to ufology than Serbs. Serbs would never come to the conclusion of a Mothman on their own because we don't know about that stuff. Yeah. So the prevailing theory was that this was some kind of government agent sent by Americans to track a then fugitive war criminal called Radovan Karadzic. Yeah. And they were uh, they were tracking him down around that time. He was eventually caught in Belgrade in 2008. The thing is, I, I, I wanted to provide like some cultural context of this. So Lubavia is on the very border with Bosnia and Herzegovina, my own country. You probably heard of the Bosnian War in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. And I, okay. I, I read a little bit more into it while, while researching the case. Not, not too much, but... I, I don't expect anybody outside of my country to know this stuff. But essentially, we have three ethnic groups here. We have Croatians, Serbs, and Bosniaks. And there was a lot of conflict between us while the communist regime was falling apart. First, the Croatians liberated themselves from Yugoslavia. Then Bosnians wanted to create their own country. I live now in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It is very complicated. We have three presidents now. Basically, oh. a president each for, for every ethnic. Oh, okay. Here. Yeah. All right. So the thing is, this Ljubovia town, it is in Serbia. It is a Serbian town. But right across the river that basically creates the border between Serbia and Bosnia, Right across the river, there is a town called Srebrenica, which unfortunately is now notorious for the massacre that occurred there in June of 95, which sparked essentially the Bosnian War. And Radovan Karadzic, that same war criminal, was the person who made the order for Bosnian Serbs to conduct the massacre of the Bosniaks in that small town. So essentially, Ljubovia as a Serbian town is right next door to this place which has a very dark history and there is a lot of conflict and which is actually the instigator of the whole Bosnian war so it is not weird to me that a lot of people there assumed that this flying humanoid is associated with all of that uh, stuff going on especially because in two in the summer of 2005 when this occurred it was the 10-year anniversary of the Srebrenica massacre yeah that's that's really interesting and it's it's something that I know you had said about with the like government agent coming over and that's what they felt more than likely it would have been and it's interesting because I could definitely see it in some respect the only thing is, is I think it would have been done a little bit more covert then, you know, yeah, I mean, broad, broad daylight and yeah, yeah. Not only that, I mean like that, that is a weird uniform to say the least. Like I don't get, like, I know like the government has done some weird stuff over the years. Like during the cold war, they faked Oswang attacks. If you know anything about that. Yeah. Oh, I know. I yeah. read about that. Yeah. And what did they do? So for the context, for the listener, Oswangs are like vampires in the Philippines. Am I correct? They're a little bit different. They're not like the undead. 
Yeah, yeah. And they're not like what we would associate with like the chupacabra. They're more of a spiritual entity. They're shapeshifters. They Yes, and the Filipino the Filipino people are very superstitious towards the aswang and there's this anxiety of a person being an aswang in disguise. Yeah. Uh, can, can you refresh my mind on what the CIA actually did because it's it's fucking crazy. Basically, if uh, I have to, re- I have to refresh myself as well because, and I could, of course, be telling it wrong. But from what I've read and what I remember, because it's been a while now, basically, what the government did is to instill fear and control into the people. They went and they took animals and basically drained all the blood out of them, basically left them around, and helped propagate this idea that there was an Oswang in the area and that it was attacking animals, and to basically decrease the morale of the of the army yeah exactly i don't believe that they did anything to people but of course you know with any government with with the cia (laughs) yeah i mean uh, it it honestly would be something i really would have to relook into because it it has been a while but it was just something interesting that i thought Yeah, no worries like if we don't have our facts straight i'm gonna look for the facts and edit okay insert a segment where i say them awesome yeah definitely like Hey guys, Darwin for the future again, another clarification here. So we already said that the Aswang is a kind of vampire of the Philippines. Well, it's actually an umbrella term for various different types of supernatural viscera and essence-sucking entities. We could do whole episodes just on this phenomenon. If interested, go search it up yourselves. No, what I wanted to clarify here is the CIA's role in causing Aswang panics. Now, I don't really understand the politics of this. I will link an article in my episode description with all the details you need. But from what I gather, in 1898, the Philippines became a U.S. colony. Then during World War II, they were occupied by the Japanese Imperial Army. And this caused the Filipinos to form a resistance group known as the Hook, who fended off the Japanese. The islands were liberated after World War II by them. And this resistance group, the Hook, became very popular with the people. And the U.S. did not like losing control over a territory to the very people who live there. So assuming that the Hooks had communist ideologies, the CIA worked alongside with the Filipino government to hunt down and arrest the Hooks. Oh man, so much history. (laughs) Oh, on my monster show. Well, no, this is just historical context that you need to understand what went on. So since the Hook resistance was popular with the rural folks who were also very superstitious, especially regarding these Aswang vampires, the CIA came up with the brilliant idea of piling up dead bodies of these very Hook soldiers along roadsides. Not just animals, as Cole said, but yeah, fucking human corpses. They left puncture wounds on their necks and drained them of blood. And to these villagers, the Hook battleground seemed like a haunted place filled with ghosts and eerie creatures. The villagers very quickly became very unsympathetic towards the Hook cause, believing them to be supernatural monsters. And this is how the war was won. Yay, another point for the CIA. Ugh. But since we're on the topic of psychological warfare and influencing your mind... Here's an advertisement. Greetings, Starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our Oracle Deck lands. Kickstarter. 5-1-2022. Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle.
Instagram. It's very interesting. Yeah, like there's there's been all sorts of weird stuff that the government's done, especially with like the supernatural in general or trying to feed off the beliefs of other people. Like during World War II, there also was supposedly an operation where they were creating mechanical scarecrows to create monsters essentially to scare the other side. There was, you know, things where they would create projections of the Virgin Mary and different things like that. Like, So, oh man, that's like psychological warfare. You're using people's religious beliefs and faith to kind of castrate them in a military yeah sense. they they actually and this goes back to our x-files uh you know ran a little bit they did make a reference to that virgin mary thing in the uh Joe Chung's from Outer Space episode. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting too because like it, it's kind of wacky and zany, but I mean, you know, to have a assumedly a government agent dressed up like knockoff, low budget, caliber comics Batman flying around <laughs> to, to, to you know, um, basically take down, you know, a war criminal. But seeing as all the other absolutely insane stuff that they've done over the years, it's one that I, I think is unlikely, but I'm at least willing to end it's very unlikely. It's very entertaining, and it is my people projecting their anxieties onto this floating figure in the sky. Imagine if it was an alien, and these people are like, instead of it's an alien, they're like, oh, this is an American government agent who came to, to propagate war again after a decade of peace, of so-called peace. <laughs> here oh my god thankfully i do an english podcast and a lot of people here won't understand what i'm talking about because they can't <laughs> understand english oh man yeah that that's just that that whole theory like it's something i'm willing to entertain because like i said i mean we've done insane things over the years but it's to me it's like when i look at how operations are done especially with like seal team six when they took down like osama bin laden and things like that it was very yeah. very much like they snuck in there they snuck out without being seen and this and if this is a dude he's literally just you know going for a sunday stroll down <laughs> down you know in the sky of all things but i just don't think it's i, I don't think it's that I mean, but you know, I, I don't I, think it's that, but it's interesting how we project our anxieties onto, onto 14 phenomena. Oh, sure. And then sure. it just muddies up what exactly this is because you have unreliable witnesses projecting their own personality. Like in the Jersey Devil case, obviously Quakers and obviously they're projecting religion and they're projecting demonic stuff onto this entity. Yeah. And then in Point Pleasant, you have people projecting 50s and 60s uh, nuclear history hysteria and ufo anxiety and stuff like that onto the mothman yeah and then in 2005 like 10 years after the bosnian war in a town that is right next to the the essentially ground zero of the war you have people projecting this anxiety of of the ethnic conflict going on here and the grip that americans have on our culture after the war so whatever these things are and wherever they pop up like in mexico people attribute them to witches mm -hmm. whatever they are they will always be mirrors into the subconsciousness of the whole culture that's observing the phenomenon yeah and that's perhaps i think the most interesting thing about this entire phenomenon in general is because like i said it's it's all based on the interpretation and the cultural aspects of the witnesses that that see these things it's just extremely fascinating because like like i said like we, we've made all these comparisons like obviously between with mexico with with witchcraft 
witchcraft and, you know, with the government conspiracies, you know, with this case. And then you also have the demonic, which is something that, you know, is often cited with a lot of the flying humanoid cases in America. The Butler County Gargoyle, for example, every single witness stated that this thing came from hell. Like that's, that was one of the big comments that they all made. Like it didn't even do anything. It crossed the road, but because it looked to them what their ideal version of what a demon is, it automatically was this thing came from hell. So, so it was just like a figure that was crossing the road. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing is a lot of these cases, you know, like we think of Mothman because they're, they're mundane basically, but people attribute their own anxieties onto this. Exactly. Like, even with Jersey Devil reports that you see today, it's like people will attribute a paranormal thing to it when it's literally just crossing the road. And there's this whole... And it, and to me, that says something more about the witness and what the witness believes. Exactly. Like, I, was all, I have been saying for a long time that we can use the paranormal as a great tool for psychological and sociological research. And you may know this as a guy who's studying anthropology, but why is the mainstream science community ignoring this you don't have to say that the jersey devil exists you can study it from the aspect of sociology and folklore and psychology and say "Uh aha these people have perceived this something let's say it's just a bird yeah they perceived it this way so this provides us historical context on this group of people in that time point in time and space and that's very valuable historical information it's like people who study literature Mm -hmm. and you know books that were written written, say, a book that was written 300 years ago in Paris, France. If you read the book, you have a historical document on what the zeitgeist was at the time in that specific place. So why isn't, say, the Jersey Devil legend also an academic tool to obtain this information, this historical valuable information? Well, there actually is. With Jersey Devil specifically. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, with with the Jersey Devil, with the Jersey Devil, excuse me, with the Jersey Devil specifically, they they actually just um, released a book all on it like yes. the, like the um it's like the political history of the jersey devil and it's really fascinating yes yes i know there was also a book on the spring jack yeah listen to a podcast yeah. monster talk they they actually talk with these academics who who write these books very historically relevant books on on these monsters and events yeah it's it's really interesting why did it take us over a century to <laughs> find out that this is a valuable tool Man, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, really, honestly. I think it's the fact that some subjects are just considered taboo, I guess. Yeah. It's just yeah. a cultural taboo. It's like Victorians discovering Pompeii and then hiding yeah. half of the stuff they found at Pompeii and just uh, publishing in their research papers the sterilized version without the statues of the the guys fucking the goats and stuff that they Yeah, were. yeah. <laughs> It's really interesting. I just, I, I just honestly do think it's a taboo. Whether no matter how people look at it, like this type of material is frowned upon. Like I know that while it's important, even and I, and I am studying it. Like the anthropology community in general, like there's people in major academic circles that kind of view it as a joke itself because yeah. you know they, they focus the hard sciences and we're more of a, a social science or an associate science the thing there is you know even with things that are legitimate there's that dismay from certain members of society or academia or whatever whatever high standard there is or whatever standard in general and there's always that level of things like that and with the 14 and the paranormal in general it's always going to be fringe what or taboo yes, yes. or taboo 
Yeah. You, you know, and and like even if, you know, if we go in the realm of let's say cryptozoology, let's say we find a Bigfoot, a Mothman, a, a, a Nessie, whatever. It, it's it's snatched away. I, I already said that in many podcasts. Yeah, it's it's, it's snatched away by the mainstream science community. I mean, and then it's like, and even though like cryptozoologists will point out, you know, oh, the mountain grill, the Komodo dragon, you know, the Okapi, the... Yeah, but, you know, they, they erased all the legends and now it's just a creature that's cataloged with a, a well, beginning and last name in Latin. Yeah, and that's kind of the one thing I will give with cryptozoology especially is that they do, whenever they write about subjects like that, they do include the legends still too. And they're like, oh, we heard legends of this, you know, half man that was in the jungles of Africa and it was taking women, you know, and doing this and that. And then, you know, here it's the mountain gorilla or, you know, we heard about dragons on this island and that they killing boars and things like that, you know, so they do. To be honest, they were probably killing the hobbits that were living there. Homo floresiensis. Oh yeah, see, that's something that... There was the Megalania, yeah. I think, there. Well, well, the Megalania that was mainland Australia, if I remember correctly. That one, oh. yeah, that that's um, Komo- the island of Komodo is in that kind of area. Mainland Australia is where they, I believe, they found all the fossils. It could be that the Megalania was existing on these islands as well. It's just that we did not find fossils of them. That's that's true. It's really interesting because you know we don't really like like there's also like um, tales of Native Americans in like the Yukon territories and so on and so forth, seeing mammoths and how. Like there's legends and lore of them going way beyond when they they should have stopped seeing them and things like that. And I'm always interested in in, in encounters like that because you know uh, I know that there was there was an island specifically where it was like the last one died out, like like the last population of them died out relatively. Yes, soon. yes, I know. So, but it's interesting that these stories, even if they're not having, you know, whether it's a relic population or whether it's they're actually having these cultural stories being passed down, that it's still there in their culture. So that's really interesting. So back to Serbian Mothman. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so so j- just to re- like wrap up this case, I'm very satisfied with our discussion. And I don't care oh, yeah, what me anybody too. thinks. Me too. Oh, man. So... Uh, yeah, the prevailing theory was that this was a government agent and the police intervened because this one lady, Zorka Milutinovic, she stated that when she was uh, exiting a store and walking back to her house, before her appeared a black man-like figure with a concealed face, long hair and a long beard. And he had his out- arms outstretched and was lunging at her. And she tried to defend herself with her umbrella. And then he just passed by her and went off into the distance. She said that he was flying towards a nearby hill called Kik, where uh, most of the other witnesses were saying the figure they saw in the sky was also flying towards. Hmm. So the police intervened because, you know, the lady was attacked by something. Yeah. And what the police found in their investigation of this whole incident, like you have hundreds of eyewitnesses, um, you have a lady being attacked, you have the couple who saw this flying man the night before. They found that this uh, attack on the lady, the, uh, the lady called Zorka, she was attacked by a, a, just a regular guy who was not from the town. He just visited the town for the weekend. And in all this mass hysteria, basically, he wanted to prank the lady and have some fun. Oh, my God. So, so yeah, that, that's how people act uh, in, in instances of mass hysteria. Oh, yeah. They also found that somebody released a helium balloon that very same day and stated that what the whole town saw that Tuesday was the helium balloon that was released. 
As for the prior night, the uh, sighting by the couple, they said that it was probably a remote-controlled doll or a mannequin, which we didn't have drones back then. It was 2005. Yeah. Like, uh, barely Westerners have drones now, have the money for that. Like, uh, well, imagine two th- 2005 Serbia, a small town where people yeah. are poor. Yeah, I mean, drones are a little bit more available at least over here yeah and just imagine like how much they are muddying up ufo investigation or flying humanoids yeah no they are i had a a guy who said that he was seeing ufos in his field for like five days so i went over the one night and i'm like dude that's a drone (laughs) yeah it was was the neighbor kid basically playing around and i'm like no dude that's a drone the the lights but the thing is is that from where he was looking all he saw was the lights and as i got closer to it you know it, it's a drone i mean it's very hard now to even research ufo's as potential alien craft because now you have more possibilities of it being something mundane and oh yeah maybe a hoax it's very easy to hoax ufo's nowadays it's very easy to hoax flying humanoids oh yeah you can attach a mannequin to a drone or you can clump up balloons in the form of a human and just set it off in the sky and yeah, that's and that- probably what happens in Lubavia. Oh yeah. I well, the one thing about the balloon thing that that kind of interests me and I kind of commented a little bit on it in the article was did they ever determine like the wind pattern that day? Like I know you know it- <laughs> We don't have very intricate records of that stuff nowadays because it was like long ago in history. For us, it's long ago because we were not, we did not have the internet infrastructure at that time to yeah. keep catalogs of this. Yeah, but, but my, my thought of it was is that, you know, with a lot of cases of mass hysteria and cases of monsters and cryptids and things like that, whenever there's a big outbreak of sightings and the police are involved, they want to usually like shut it down as quickly as possible. So there might have been a balloon released that day and and it more more certainly was but was it even in like the same area or did they just be like well here's here's the culprit here's the balloon unfortunately we we don't know just for context like even when killers here are arrested for murders the media only prints out their initials really yeah our government does not expose criminals and their identities unlike western media okay so even if they found somebody they would not put out their name Huh. It's just how the culture works here. Like, we are very similar to Russians. I know that's a controversial thing to say now <laughs> with what's happening in the world, but it's the truth. We are both Slavs. Okay. We are both Orthodox Christians, and a lot of our ideologies are essentially derivatives of Russian ideology because we were also communists okay. until recently. Okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely different than what we do it here. When it comes to there's there's sort of like this thing where they call journalistic integrity, where mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, well, we're gonna reveal the truth about everything, and that includes, you know, if it means outing somebody, we will. Even though, you know, like at the same time, then you'll have like people that claim journalistic integrity and then they run like the the tabloids and things like that too. So they'll they'll take a, they'll make up a fake story and use a real person's name and in your article on this case, you do mention yellow journalism a lot. I, I do because it's something that I run into, especially with a lot of older cases. Like it's something you always have to entertain is when it is when all the information that you're getting is coming from 
either sources that are allegedly emailed, like some websites do, or if you are getting sources that are just straight coming from the newspaper, you have to take that newspaper account at basically as that because there's not if there's nothing else to go with it, that's all you have. So you have to entertain that notion that there is always the possibility that they're using it to sell a paper or to fill up space or to, you know, like an April Fool's joke, you know, since that was the other day. And of course, you can't believe anything on on that day, <laughs> you know, so you have that. And it's something that you actually they, when I see a case like that, that's it. All I have is newspaper sources. I mean, I can speculate all day about this type of stuff, but I still have to entertain that notion that there's always that chance that this was something made to sell papers. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the pre uh, that was the dominant thing uh, surrounding the whole Spring Hill Jack stuff. Yeah, well, in the Victorian era. Yeah, there was like the Penny Dreadfuls is yes yeah and and that's kind of the thing is like that's where stories like um sweeney todd came from the demon barber who supposedly would you know give you the closest shave you'll ever have yeah and make you into a, a mincemeat pie yeah yeah and and it's like now we know that those stories are completely bogus and they actually deal with like the psychological fears of you know trusting someone to do your shaving for you at a place where literally if they wanted to they could kill you yeah yeah so it's interesting in that way but at the same time it's again it's it's still yellow journalism okay so i was a kid back then in 2005 and i remember when this came up in the news even like children's magazines were writing on it and mostly it was treated as tongue-in-cheek that's how we treat these stories here we do not take them very seriously people will speculate about conspiracy related stuff but it's still it is tongue-in-cheek it is like you are speculating conspiracies but you're also by doing that making fun of the americans okay in a way Okay. So, uh, like, I remember magazines had caricatures of Superman in Lubavia, you know? Stuff oh, okay. Like that. Yeah. And, like, in the end, we can say comic books are <laughs> a very huge motif in, in this. And it's very unique. Like, you don't stumble upon 14 phenomena that can be attributed to the icon of a superhero. Usually, yeah. I mean, there's a few cases of people actually reporting seeing comic book characters or Disney characters actually in real life. But it's, again, those emailed in reports. So nothing yeah. actually investigated. And I mean, th that shows just how huge of a difference there is between cultures. Because in America, somebody sees a flying humanoid, they'd attribute it to a mothman nowadays. But like in old times, they'd say it is a demon you know oh yeah something like that it's an alien mm -hmm. but here people say oh that's just superman or oh that's just an american agent like they're they're pestering us again yeah and then they make caricatures of this and laugh their asses off and don't treat it at all seriously the only people treating it seriously are the people from the government and even the former deputy prime minister of the government of serbia miodrag isakov who was the ambassador for Serbia in Israel, even. Okay. He made a statement that this was all a ploy by the journalists to print papers. Yeah. And they did, they did have a response to that, though. Yeah. So the response from the journalists was from Jelena Petrovic. She was the editor of Blitz Correspondence. Blitz was the uh, newspaper that originally printed this article. And I think... 
from what I remember, she stated, like, we have integrity. And the person who wrote this article is one of our most professional colleagues. We have been reached out by many news agencies, some of them even from Germany regarding mm-hmm. this case. People have seen something and it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. The police stated that it was a hoax. It was attributed to a balloon and a remote control flying mannequin. Yeah. Some other politicians stated that it may have been a kite in the in the shape of a person, which to be honest, kites are not a thing here. Really? At all. Yeah. Like I hardly ever see anybody flying a kite here. That is interesting. I would never would have thought that because like over here, kites, like I don't touch kites because I'm terrible with them, but, <laughs> but basically it, they're everywhere. And so whenever I see something that's, or write about something that's flying oriented, that's kind of one of the things that I always kind of look into is whether or not it's a kite. And I even think I, I might've mentioned that in the article a bit about, yes, you, about, yes, about the kite. Yeah. You, you went into the kite theory. Yeah. Because because there was actually a politician who stated it may have been a kite. Yeah. But that, that reminds me of this. Like, you and I chatted last night, and that was not recorded. But I stated why this case mesmerizes me so, even though I believe it is a hoax. Because of this somewhat primordial instinctual fear in all of us and this uncanny valley feeling we have towards an object floating in the sky. Yeah. And especially if it, if it's a humanoid object, like the Mothman isn't scary if you think about it as a thing with wings and it's flapping its wings to soar through the sky. Like that's not scary because that's very natural for something to have wings and to flap them. But the, the stories of Mothman who would spread his wings and then just ascend to the air without even moving his wings. That reminds me like of scenes in video games where you download a shitty mod and there's a scripted event where a character needs to fly into the air and the modder just did not take the time to do the animation and he just makes the character go up in the air and you're like, what the fuck? This is breaking the (laughs) physics of the game. (laughs) So in a way, when you witness these things, they're so unnerving because it is like they are breaking what we know to be reality. It is playing with our senses and it is unnerving on an instinctual level because our bodies have grown accustomed to living within the confines of physical law and then you see something very easily just breaking everything you know about physics yeah that's well that's kind of like i i have that same primordial fear with things in the ocean even with like things that i know that are supposed to be there like i do not swim i do not get in the water because it's you are accustomed to the ground being beneath you and nothing can come up yeah. from under the ground. Yeah. But here in the water, you are suspended in a medium where there is no up and down anymore. Yeah, like Things just, can be completely below you. It's sort of like, and just the, the idea, especially of something, you know, like with water, you know, it's something coming up and like grabbing you, you know, or, you know, just not even being aware of something being there. And I think with, with things from the sky, it's kind of the same way. It's just this space that we're not meant to technically be in like in a weird way like if that's the best way i can put it like we're not we're not biologically made for that environment that biome and so it for me it's just when you see something like a colossal like a flying humanoid or a colossal 
like a thunderbird or something like that in the sky even if it is like flying traditionally like a regular bird if it's something huge that does not match your normal description or you know like an atmospheric beast or something like that it's it's going to fill you with with either potential awe or potential fear or absolute terror on an integral level because this is something that you are not akin to it's something that you might ascribe to wanting a little bit you know like everybody has the dreams of wanting to fly or this or that i i have the dreams of uh, like floating in the air and just going up into space and never coming back and that's very uh, scary it's like if you're flying a kite just suck yeah, if you're flying a kite, like the tether is what's keeping the kite grounded to reality, the reality of terrestrial life. But let's say you snap that tether oh. and the kite just goes off into nothingness. Isn't that very scary? A very scary idea. And oh. Imagine you're the kite. Dude, I just, whenever I just think of things like that, like floating, floating, floating until you, like, I just think of the slow choke. Like, that's what it is. Like, you, you know, I think that there's a, a point where the air just gets so thin that you pass out. But then it's like, for me, it's just this, I, I kind of see it's like. It's like reverse falling. Yeah, I just, uh. <laughs> I don't, I don't like that at all, but th- like, but again, it's important because it's, I think with a lot of these concepts and a lot of these things, there is primordial fears within us that we can literally see and analyze with this type of stuff and different ideas, different motifs. And that's yeah. kind of one, and that's kind of one of the things, especially with when you're looking at balloon, like objects, like a traditional flying humanoid, pro- like if I just saw it floating in the air, that would kind of freak me out a little bit. But I think if it just floated a couple feet above the ground, that it would be more terrifying to me than just mm. seeing it like floating in the air. Because, you know, I mean, like I'm a comic book kid. I probably, you know, I, I, I grew up reading Superman and Spider-Man and all well Spider-Man doesn't fly but I did too what Spider-Man does is way more like crazy than any flying superhero well except for maybe Green Lantern but like I don't like DC because they're basically gods they can do everything Green Lantern except for Batman (laughs) except for Batman Green Lantern can materialize anything he imagines he is the most ultimate Tulpa man sir oh yeah but that's what's so cool about him that's what makes him not very unnerving and scary because he breaks reality but spider-man is grounded in reality because marvel is more grounded in reality so you can feel the visceral i don't know anxiety of him just uh, swinging between buildings yeah and dodging them yeah and that's also probably why i like spider-man much more yeah in general it resonates with us more yeah that and the villains i mean you're a fan of animals and every villain he has is an animal Well, most. I mean, the spot's not. Oh, man. <laughs> the spot. Out of all the villains, you found the spot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's cool. He, you know, he opens up portals and he can like, yeah, Um. that's that to me is one of the interesting things is it's like this case to me, it's not like other flying humanoid cases where if I saw this flying in the sky, I would not get, I can say that I wouldn't, but you know, in a sit in the actual situation now, God, you know, I, it could be totally different. I do not believe that I would be as intimidated as say, if it was some of the other flying humanoid cases that are out there like say the owl man because that's that to me is more interesting i'd argue than mothman a little bit you know what what i find scary about flying humanoids like if it's a humanoid that has control over his limbs and is articulating his limbs i don't find that particularly scary but i find particularly scary the idea of a stiff body suspended in air and that's where the clump of balloons that are gathered together to form a humanoid and put out into the wild of the atmosphere that's so scary to me i know it's a clump of balloons but just 
just the image of a stiff human being suspended in air and just hmm. going away into nothingness. That that's so creepy. See that 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 like the way that you're describing it, that just makes me think of like the rapture. So like <laughs> yeah. like yeah. like I I do not like that now. Now come to think of it, uh, you know, just waking up and looking up and you just seeing like everybody floating. I'm like, "Uh, no." Mm-hmm. No. Uh, but then that also goes back into religious ideologies a bit, too. Yes. With such things. Even the idea of levitation, like it has been present throughout antiquity. Oh, yeah. So surely it is something that has been freaking people out for a very long time, like before we had comic books and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And even the story of Jesus ascending into the heavens is very visceral in a sense. I think a lot of these flying humanoid cases can be attributed to that idea of Jesus ascending into the air, especially in Latin American countries, which are traditionally more Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like, we've had this conversation about, you know, the cryptid archetype which is a, a, a theory that's starting to, to get some recognition in uh, philosophy and psychology. Mm-hmm. The original paper was on Old Stinker, which is a werewolf, and that people were seeing werewolves in Canic Chase because of a regret over the extinction of wolves in that area, and that it basically is a psychological manifestation of, of this collective guilt. That's very interesting. I never heard of that in, in the 14 world. Yeah, it's... it's um... And so like, with my Gaia hypothesis, if all the paranormal events are essentially the planets putting us back into place so we may serve the planet which is a super organism if the planet is influencing us to feel guilt over the extinction of species so we conjure up monsters under the influence of the planet wow that's that's just so weird that is really weird and i mean like well there's a couple different ways to look at it i mean if you look at it from that way that is really weird but then there's also like there's also the archetypes that young talked about like you know or things that we could compare to things that young talked about like one of the things that i brought up to you a couple times is uh young during one of his breakdowns he had a um encounter with a winged humanoid and that the winged humanoid essentially as an archetype represents change it represents primordial fear represents disaster and it's something that you see cross-culturally and it's something that we now see in the legends of a lot of these creatures that we especially mothman uh, especially with mothman and of course there's this entire myth work even though 90 percent of the time there's nothing really to accumulate with it like there have been occasionally reports of mothman type creatures seen in places of disaster but at the same time that's that's like the bare minimum it but it's that reaction that mindset of this so maybe there's some subconscious thing about that yeah there's some kind of psychological mechanism ingrained into all our brains because we are all humans and share the human experience together that when we react to catastrophe it sparks this image uh this archetypal image of a flying humanoid yeah it's Like our emotional reaction is somehow tied to an archetypal image that is ingrained in the social unconsciousness. Yeah, and that's kind of just one of the possibilities. And it's interesting to note because like I said, I mean, it's it's cross-culturally. It's when you look at old winged deities like Pazuzu, the um an Egyptian, he was Egyptian or Babylonian, one of the two. You haven't been watching The Exorcists a lot, huh? I I I actually have a Pazuzu statue in my in my room for my collection. 
but of yeah. uh, 14 subjects, but it, it's kind of one of those, and, and I hate to say it because I love that movie, but the idea is, is that it was uh, an entity that essentially was something that always symbolized death, destruction. It was a, a god of the winds. It did all these things. It had four wings. It's one of those archetypes, and a lot of people you know, have pointed it out in comparison to things like Mothman. Another thing is Cam- Camazots, the giant Mexican god death bat. It's it's essentially this. Uh, it was a worship by a cult, or it's not a cult, a sect of uh, the Mayans who uh, basically came up with this colossal monstrous bat that would attack people, and and they worshipped it as a god, and it, it was a, a death god essentially. So it's yeah. I mean, the Mesoamericans had Quetzalcoatl, if that's how it's pronounced. That, that's that's pretty close, and that's about how I say it. That's the that's the rain god that they have down there, and the god of the waters and the winds, and that. That's the feathered serpent. Now when you are talking about Pazuzu, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I should edit this if I'm wrong, is he portrayed with an erection on statues? Yes, he is. The one that I have has it. <laughs> are you are you aware of the Popobawa in Tanzania? Yes, uh, yeah, the 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 one-eyed, rapey, giant bat humanoid that yeah, yeah. With, a, uh, with a giant dong. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can basically see how the idea of the winged, bat-winged humanoid demon diverged in two different African countries. Well, the Camazots from Mexico also has an erection. So I don't know. I don't know what we're what ground we're touching here, but um, <laughs> basically, yeah. So apparently, uh, bat demon gods they they get erections, and sometimes they are one-eyed monsters, literally and figuratively. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's one of the fascinating things too, because I, I I had not actually put that together until you just said that, and I'm like, okay, so you have yeah. So your next article is gonna be on bat demon erections. <laughs> And and you're gonna have to draw that as well. The significance of bat demon erections. Uh, I mean, that would definitely be interesting to do, and I would definitely require a lot of research to say the least. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I'm literally, I'm, I'm just kind of just like I, I, I'm just going off at the top of my head with this type of stuff. So I definitely, I'm gonna need to like look back on. I mean, it just that, verify. that's that's the article that's gonna make you. Oh like, yes, yeah. Yeah, you're you're gonna be a professional after that. There we go. Everything you wanted <laughs> so, to know. So we're we're wrapping up with uh, bat demon erections here. All right. uh, Cole, can you plug your stuff and tell the people where they can find you and expect your article on bat demon erections? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you can find me at the New World Explorer Society site. That's where I post all my articles. Um, I also am on Instagram. You can find me there, just Cole Harold Researcher, and you can also find me on Facebook at the New. World Explorer Society Facebook page. And I, I tend to post things to a little bit of both. Not not so much on Instagram, just because mostly that's for like sketches and things like that and regarding to articles. But with the uh, the other two, that's where most of the, the articles and research show up. So yeah, yeah. And all of these links will be in my episode description. I highly suggest anybody interested to go read all of the articles they can because Cole recently did his hundredth article, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 
I did on the on on the Pittsburgh Mothman, you know, to yeah, keep with yeah. the theme. So yeah, I wanted to go with uh, I had just actually got the last Stan Gordon book, and I came across more information on it, and it was a full additional five pages. And I'm like, well, you know, this is a case that actually occurred before Point Pleasant, and there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. And so it's a big case, but it's not super big. So I decided to just go with that one, and also it's still a major player, so to speak, in in the 14 community. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I really want you to come back <laughs> one day because there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. Oh yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And it was <laughs> it was great. So yeah. So once you finish that uh bad demon <laughs> erection article, uh I need to interview oh, again. All right, all right. Sounds good. I'll I'll definitely be <laughs> looking into it because <laughs> I'm just curious because if we found three, I, I mean I know like I, I wonder how many more similar types of things are out there so it's a very common motif in oh, yeah. uh, africa you know the tokoloshe oh yeah well they you know they need a wheelbarrow for that so oh man <laughs> like like that's one of the big things like it's always described as extra normally large and it's just like like uh, like there's no feasible way if this was even like a living thing yeah i, I saw uh, uh, an image the other day of somebody in some gathering in south africa dressed as a tokoloshe so he's a black guy doing blackface Okay. Really? Yeah. And with horns and he has blood coming out of his mouth, but he attached a giant fake penis to himself and walked around <laughs> in the public. But ju that just shows you how that is a very common motif in African culture oh because God. people can walk around with a giant fake dong and nobody will, you know, be weirded out by that. Yeah. Oh my God. That is great. I need to find this picture now. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to send you the picture okay, and I'll okay, link okay, it. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> I'll link it. Definitely, yeah. because that's that's funny. And also, again, also, aside from it just being like funny, but it's also really interesting because, again, like, I mean, you could look at it, you know, as the importance um, from an anthropological perspective of, you know, the importance of masculinity or the importance of reproduction or whatever. But it's yeah, just yeah. it's just with these things specifically, yeah, just it's so bizarre, so bizarre. And, you know, some kind of uh, phallic horror imagery because it's tied to monsters and all these monsters have giant penises yeah it's it well i mean there you know there are people that are into that so i mean <laughs> you know oh, man, that we, we could we could talk all day you know that some kind of london society wrote an article on the popobawa explaining what what mass hysteria was going on in tanzania and they actually wrote down that one witness stated that he likes being visited by the Popo Bawa because usually he'd have to pay to have that happen to him. <laughs> and this was this was an official article. Oh I'm, I'm going to link that. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely send me that because I have not read that. Uh, like... I know a, I know a decent amount about the Popa Bawa, but I I mean at the same time it's like there's always things that slip through the cracks. So I I oh yeah. my god, that's great. Like <laughs> so we're ending this episode on that note about giant dongs, and this is a very giant dong of an episode. <laughs> I'm gonna have fun editing this. Uh, yeah. Oh man. So, guys, now onto the plugs and reading recommendations. And no, I am not sponsored. This is just me. Well, am I sponsored by Cole? If I had him as a guest? Ah, fuck it. So since we're on the topic of Cole, if you want more intricate info and resources on the Lyubovia Phantom, check out the article he wrote for the New World Explorer Society. The link will be in my episode description. And check out my prior episode on the Phantom of Lyubovia. Just scroll down and you'll see the episodes. Now, both of us found this case only in one English language book. If you can even 
call it a book. We have it on Kindle. It's more of a compilation of cases. Well, it's called Humanoid Encounters the Others Among Us 2000 to 2009 by Albert S. Rosales. This guy is a compiler of all these weird one-off entity cases, a huge inspiration to both me and Cole. And you can seek out all of his collections on Amazon and Kindle. They're like chronologically compiled. I don't know how this guy does what he does, but damn, it's amazing. Now, if you are interested in the history of the Jersey Devil and its sociological significance, seek out the book The Secret History of the Jersey Devil, How Quakers, Hucksters, and Benjamin Franklin Created a Monster by Brian Regal and Frank J. Esposito. Brian himself actually appeared on Monster Talk discussing this very book, so at least you can go listen to their episode with him if you don't want to buy the book. And if you're interested more in very connections with UFO occupants, you can start with Brad Steger's book Alien Meetings if you can even find it in a thrift store somewhere. But don't worry, if you don't find it, there is the very book that actually started this whole fairy UFO connection debate, and is a must-read for anyone who is like me sick and tired of UFOs being treated as alien craft. The book was written by respected ufologist Jacques Vallée, who actually worked with J. Allen Hynek, so you know the guy knows his shit. And it's titled Passport to Magonia from Folklore to Flying Saucers. Just read it, even if you are a proponent of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Just stop ignoring the fact that fairies are reported all over the world with lights in the sky and they abduct people. Ugh. Finally, go support Christina. I included her ad in today's episode for her new project, The Celestial Alien Oracle Deck. Landing on Kickstarter on the 1st of May. It would mean so much to me if you can go support her. Follow the Instagram handle of the project at Celestial Alien Oracle. As for Cole, thank you so much for guesting and helping me create, I believe, the best episode I ever made for this show. I'm really looking forward to many more collaborations with you. And Cole, please, just write that article on the bat-winged penis demons. <laughs> uh, man. Until next time, though. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.